Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now from an off-site campus or uh, in the chapel or the warehouse here or maybe on a podcast or uh, on the internet somewhere, wherever you happen to be. Uh, we're glad that you're along too. What a great day this is. And uh, we're going to uh, complete our series uh, from um, um, the book of what? Where, where are we at? Song of Solomon. Love song. And uh, we're going to do a Q&A. We'll talk about that just a little bit more in just a minute. I just want to say uh, right now, if your campus pastor kind of didn't give you the PG-13 uh, warning, I, I want to do that. Uh, this week will be PG-13. Uh, we're going to answer your questions. Some of you are perverted. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, you may want to take the next few minutes just to kind of make sure you got the right people in the room, okay? Um, here's the deal. Let me tell you what's coming up in the next couple of weeks, okay? And then we'll talk a little bit about where we are and where we're going. Um, next week, uh, one of my friends, Stephen Furtick, is going to be speaking, and you guys love Stephen. Stephen is, uh, has just written a new book called Sun Stand Still, and he's going to be uh, kind of preaching from that. And uh, so uh, he's going he's gonna to be uh, teaching next week. Um, and then uh, the following week, uh, I'm going to start a new series Eight weeks from the book of Philemon. Philemon is one chapter, okay? So we're going to camp out there for a while. Now here's, I've got to be honest with you. I am more excited about this series, that's why I'm telling you about it now, than any series maybe that I've ever done at Seacoast. I believe that this series is going to set the culture for our church for the next decade, okay? That's how strongly I feel about it. We're going to call the series The Church in Your House. Uh, That's one of the first uh, verses in the book. You may want to read it in advance. We'll challenge you to read it regularly. We are going to pick it apart, study it, and uh, I believe it's going to have major impact on Seacoast and on every city that we're a part of. And uh, so I just want to tell you that's coming up uh, two weeks from now, The Church in Your House, Book of Philemon. Okay, this week, here we go. We are concluding our series, and just as a way of review, uh, we started Song of Solomon uh, about five weeks ago, and the first week I talked a little bit about the case for marriage, kind of built the case for marriage. Uh, I've never really done a message quite like that. I feel like it's apropos for today, uh, because our culture is changing, and uh, we need to speak uh, really a clear word to the culture on what God uh, defines as marriage. And then the second week, we talked a little bit to married couples on how to build your marriage. And to be honest with you, um, the value of this series, I believe, I'm not just being modest about this, I believe that the value of this series was less about what I taught and more about what you talked about when you left. There were great conversations going out of here. Some of you told me about them. Married couples talking about things that they have some of some of you have never talked about the things that you communicated about, and I think that it helped your uh, helped your relationship. Uh, single uh, uh, singles talking about things. Uh, uh, we had people get married during this series. Uh, hopefully, we didn't have anybody get divorced as a result of the series. But the conversations have been great. Third week, uh, we talked specifically to singles and a little bit about uh, how to how to really you know. Uh, uh, flow in what God has for you and how to find uh, the love of your life if that's uh, where you're at. Talked about that just a little bit, maybe just a t- tad controversial at times. 
gave you something to think about. And then uh, last week, Sean talked about pr- protecting innocence. And boy, have I gotten some great feedback uh, on that message. And this week, what I want to do is I want to I take your questions. And here's how I prep for it. We ask you to send questions in, send questions in. I would peek every once in a while at some of the questions coming in through the city. And uh, then I purposefully didn't like pre-prepare for this until yesterday. Uh, yesterday afternoon, just before the service, I wanted to kind of... Um, at least get a peek at some of the questions. And so that's my preparation. So I'm kind of flying without a net here. This is not like how I like to operate. I'm a, I'm a prepare freak, okay? Uh, but we're just going to do it. You guys are going to love it because that's why we like NASCAR in the South because the, you, you're looking for a wreck, you know? And uh, <laughs> I'm kind of a NASCAR fan. I don't like like the Atlanta track where nobody ever passes anybody. You like Bristol, you know, where they're just banging. And so this could be like Bristol, uh, today, uh, who knows? And I'm just warning you up front. I I, I don't know where we're going. And then they they promise they're going to slip a few wild cards that I haven't seen in. And so we'll just kind of go from there. And uh, so let's just buckle up. And are you ready? Let's go with the first question. What is the first question? Oh, let's just do a light one, shall we? First, <laughs> what is biblically okay in the bedroom? Okay, all right. I was talking about it just a minute. Number one, uh, only if you're married are you to be in the bedroom. Okay, are we clear about that? All right, that's what the Bible says. You say, that's old-fashioned. It doesn't matter, you know. Remember we did the week on God's got the copyright on marriage? You know, uh, if you don't like how God does it, you, He's got His universe. You, you don't have your own universe kind of a deal. And so that's kind of the premise that we go from. But I think the question... <clears throat> is probably dealing with married couples and what's okay and what's not okay. And um, our culture, and I don't want to throw rocks at our culture. I, l- I love living at this particular time. And there are a lot of things about, about our culture that I love. But there are some things that have been perverted in our culture. And sexually, we, we, are, we are in a sex-drained, oftentimes perverted culture as a result of pornography and everything else. And so things have been introduced uh, and uh, really messed up that um, that God never intended uh, to 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 be messed up. On the other side, you've got um, uh, uh, some not not a lot of Christian leaders are addressing these things, but you have some legalistic uh, uh, leaders who you know have a list of things that you can and can't do in your bedroom. You know, and uh, so w- what does the Bible say about that? Uh, here, here's what I think: I, uh, Hebrews. I think chapter 4, verse 16, I think it's where it's at. And if it's not, it's somewhere in there, okay. Um, says that, that marriage is to be honored, okay? And the marriage de- bed is not to be defiled, okay? It's to be honored. In, in other words, there is, a, there is a, a private place. When you get married, um, you, uh, you know, we call it making love, and it's your own it, it's unique to you. It's it's unique to the two of you, and it's to be honored and it's to be cherished. And let me just give you, rather than a whole list of rules, let me give you two principles. Okay, uh, that answer this question. Principle number one is you're not to bring anyone else into the room with you. Okay, nobody else comes into this room with you. And you say, well, what do you think we are? You know, some kind of well, a few of you are, you know, and I've, I've got to address that. 
but you don't you don't bring anybody else in the room with you which which would which would include pornography okay and people have asked well can a christian couple you know watch some porn kind of get excited about that stuff and then do their thing i don't think it's healthy I think it's bringing, uh, there's a lot of reasons for it. We may hit that with some other questions later, but you're bringing somebody else into the bedroom with you. And and uh, this has been the only age that that has even been possible. And I, I think it's clearly not permissible. Uh, second principle is this, uh, is are, are both of you comfortable with, with what you're doing? Um, nobody needs to be coerced. But if you're both comfortable and there's nobody else, you know, in the room, you know, it's you and God and enjoy one another. All right? That makes sense? All right, let's go to the next question. What do I do when my spouse is not as sexually... Re- this is not going to be all about sex, okay? I don't think, <laughs> but it is right now. Uh, what do I do when my spouse is not as sexually responsive as I need them to be? Uh, just like pray, okay? Just really pray. Uh, I thought that was funny, but it's not. That's... <laughs> But it's not a bad idea, you know, to take your to take your request to God. Seriously, seriously, pray. That's that's an that's a, uh, an outlet that we have. Beyond that, First um, Corinthians seven, Paul says uh, he says some interesting things. But in about verse one, he says, you know, hey gang, uh, uh, it's better if you're not married. Uh, and there are a lot of reasons for that. Just the Clarity of focus, um, responsibilities and all that kind of thing, and being able to focus uh, strictly on the gospel. But he says, uh, but, it, but it's okay. Um, it's better to marry than burn. Uh, evidently, Paul was a fifth grade boy at some point. And, but he's not putting down marriage in, in a sense as, as he's being real, real positive about that whole thing that God has provided the marriage relationship for the desires that we naturally have. And, uh, and, and then he says, which we dealt with one week, I think, he says, you know what? You have a responsibility to one another. When you say, I do, your body no longer belongs exclusively to you. The two become one. You are one. And you have a responsibility to serve your spouse sexually. And, and he goes on and he says that if, uh, that that you're you're to uh, be having uh, regular sexual relationships uh, unless you both agree to take a season of fasting and prayer. And he said, when you do, if you do that, then come together again so that there you won't give the devil a place in your marriage. And I talked about kicking the devil out of your bedroom in one of our in one of our uh, sessions. And um, seriously, we need to take that responsibility seriously. We really do. And so oftentimes, you know, you, you don't have the exact same sexual desires. And that's a dance that you have to learn to dance. But what you do is uh, you recognize that it's not about you. And that uh, it, especially if you are not, uh, if you don't have the same level of desire as your spouse does, um, uh, you need to fake it till you feel it. Okay, you need, you, you need to... <laughs> it's a spiritual (laughs) i told you we could have rex here it's a spiritual responsibility to um to serve your spouse so that you don't open the door for them for other outlets of temptation 
Okay, am I clear? All right, let's go on to the next one. I feel like God is cheating me out of something that He created. What do I do? Uh, I asked a little bit about the context of this question, and uh, here it was. It, it was a, uh, a single female um, facing uh, midlife who has a strong desire to be married, has prayed to be married uh, all of her life, and she has not been. And she feels like, well, here's this wonderful thing of marriage. And I feel like God is cheating me out of something that He created. What do I do? Wow, what a, what a, what a hard, hard question. And, you know, I'm going to laugh about some of the questions, but every question is asked with context. There is no question without context. And this one, I can, I can feel the pain. I mean, seriously. Uh, and, and that's hard. That's really hard. Um, but I want to say a couple of things about it. Number one, God has not cheated you. God does not cheat. God has a purpose and God has a, a plan for you. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, writer and intellectual, Christian intellectual, um, didn't get married until later in life. And when he did get married, he married a, a, a woman who had a disease, had cancer. He knew that going in. But even knowing that, um, the fact that she died in a very short period of time left him bewildered and with a lot of questions for God. Similar questions, feeling like he had been cheated out of, he waited for so long, and then when he did uh, have a marriage that was wonderful, he felt as though he was cheated out of that. And he worked through those things. Those are, ask God your questions. You know, I mean, God's not afraid of questions. But C.S. Lewis didn't get stuck there. He worked through it. In fact, he wrote a book out of it. I don't remember the title. We'll put it on the city tomorrow in my notes of kind of, you know, what, what we talked about this, this week. But his book has been about grief, has been a great help to a lot of people working through those same uh, processes. And you know what? God wants to work through you. And not that your whole life will be about grief. It doesn't need to be. But... God works in everything. And also understand that uh, the Bible also says that uh, Paul, in talking about suffering, he says our suffering, he says put it in perspective. It, it can be bad at times. But he said our suffering is momentary compared to the glory that's set before us. And don't ever, ever forget that. This is not all there is. In fact, um, when, when you when you think about the 60, 70, 80 years, you could suffer every day of your life during the years that we have here. And on on day 5,965,242,003 of absolute bliss of eternity, someone could ask you, how has your existence been? And you would say, unbelievable. And they might say, well, what about that 70 or 80 years that you suffered and you go, let me think, I can't even remember that. That's perspective, okay? And so understand that every day. All right, let's, let's go to the next question. Um, do you have any suggestions on how an ESPN dude can become a chick flick man? Great question. This, I understand, I asked them about this. Well, what's up with that? And they said, this is a guy that says, I got a real hard time being romantic. Do you have any tips? 
And I do. Um, let me give you a four-course thing on that, okay? How you can go from being an ESPN dude to like a romantic chick flick guy. Okay, day, it's going to take you four days. Day one is, is this what you do? Start light. Just rent anything by Julia Roberts, okay? <laughs> and here's, here's how you understand a chick flick, guys, is you've got to see it in a football context. You see Julia Roberts as a quarterback, okay? And what, and what your role is is to sack her heart. Okay, and so and so you just kind of see it from an ESPN point of view, just kind of ease into it the first day. Second day, here's what you do: just bake something, anything, just bake anything. <laughs> just you know, it, it needs to have a little sugar, maybe some vanilla, and just a dash of nutmeg in it. And then and then what you do is you take what you've baked to the book club that your tight squeeze is a part of, which you've by now joined. You know, some poetry reading, that type of thing. And you, you, bring, you bring whatever you baked for the book club, and then you sit there quietly, except at some point you say, you know, I completely understand uh, why Bella loves Edward. Okay? And, okay? All right? Now, on the, on the third, third day, it's time for, this is the tough day, it's time for a triple feature. Okay? And so what you do is you rent Steel Magnolia's, um, fried green tomatoes and sleepless in Seattle and you watch them back to back to back it's going to be tough no pain no gain okay and then maybe at the end of that day maybe at the end of that day you wrap yourself in a blanket um, sit for three hours in your favorite chair eating chocolates weeping, weeping softly as you listen to Whitney Houston sing uh, I always love you or over and I will always love you over and over and over again okay all right, then you're ready for the Super Bowl. Okay, are you ready for it? Now you, you schedule a date and you rent the Super Bowl chick flick of all times. What is it? The notebook. You rent the notebook. <laughs> Touchdown! Okay, all right, there you go. That's it. All right, let's go to the next question. How's that? Pretty good advice? Ladies, did I do okay? All right, good. What comes first? My commitment to God or my commitment to my spouse. Wow. Wow. Um, I'm going to suggest it's not an either or. It's a both and. We all know that our primary allegiance has to be to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our commitment is to God. However, I believe that our commitment to God is expressed through our relationships with other people. You can't see God. Okay? You don't live next door to God. You don't sleep in the same bedroom as God. Your commitment to God is expressed in how you love, first of all, your spouse, your family, your friends, and other people. Okay? So that would be my broad brush deal. It's not like, well, God's first and, you know, it's, it's all together. It's all together. It's all like, uh, you know, and, you know, we used to say Jesus and others and you, joy, and sing. You know, I don't believe that. In fact, it's, it's like it's, it's, it, it, God is not compartmentalized here. God is interchanged in everything of my life. It's, it's, it's all the same. It's not segmented. Now, this question, though, the context of I asked context of this question, and it's someone who says, what if I feel a strong call to missionary work? I feel a strong call, you know, to kind of abandon this 
and follow God in this area, and my spouse just says, absolutely not. Do I listen to God? Do I listen to my spouse? A couple of things on that. Number one, um, this is why, and this is not necessarily answer this particular thing, but this is one of the reasons we think premarital counseling is so important because we try to talk about some of those things. When you're looking for who you're going to marry, it's not just that they're a Christian, but it's are, they, are, are you kind of called along the same path? You know, uh, if, if you feel called to, you know, AIDS orphans in Kenya and, you, and your future spouse, you know, feels called to, uh, you know, live Jesus before the business clientele in Atlanta, you, you know, you're probably incompatible. And so you need to deal with that. Um, if you're married and you feel a strong, strong, strong leading from the Lord and a call from the Lord and your spouse just is like, no, then what you need to do is give that some time to marinate. You you need to pray and you need to give God time to move without manipulation on your part, okay? How do you know that that, uh, your spouse does not need you as the Holy Spirit, okay? Your spouse has the Holy Spirit in their life and you just kind of screw things up, okay, when you try to guide. So don't manipulate. You pray. Believe in the power of prayer. And if over time, give it time, if over time your spouse comes to a, you know, yeah, this seems to be the right thing, then God is probably in that. If over time your spouse still feels resistance to that, here's probably what the case is. The case is probably that's not exactly how God wants you to fulfill His call. How many of you have ever, you know, felt a call or felt something from God and thought the answer was going to come one way and it comes another way? Have you ever felt like God was screwing up your life? Let's just put it that way. Sometimes it feels like that, but it's not. And, and so it may very well be that the, that the desire is God, but He wants to fulfill it in another way. And maybe that other way is that for you to take a mission trip, you know, like once a year. Or maybe the, the other way is for you to, uh, to pray every day and read newspapers. And every time you see an article in that particular area that you pray about that and that you, you become a prayer warrior for God's work in whatever area it happens to be. Or it may be that God wants you to finance, that God wants you to be the resource person for someone else who is already doing that. And that's the way He wants you to serve. A lot of different ways to do it. But if God does not confirm it in your spouse, it probably that's probably not the specific direction that you need to go because God will confirm through the both of you. It's a both and, okay? So let's, let's go on to the next one. What if I'm married to an unbeliever? Does my marriage dishonor God? What if I'm married to an unbeliever? Does my marriage dishonor God? We spent some time in the singles uh, period uh, talking about the fact that in 1 Corinthians 7, God is very clear that you're not to be unequally yoked. Okay? If you're looking for someone to marry, you need to look within the faith. You're not to be unequally yoked. There are a lot of reasons for that. I don't need to be God's lawyer on that particular issue today. But what I want to do is just talk about what if you're already married and you're spiritually mismatched. Perhaps, um, perhaps you were not a believer when the two of you were married and you became a believer and now, boy, there seems to be a lot of spiritual separation in your home. Or maybe you were a believer, but you didn't realize this teaching, and you went ahead and you married someone who was not a believer, and um, 
And now you find yourself going, wow, the Scripture says this. Does God honor that? Or maybe you were a believer and you knew what the Scriptures taught and you did whatever you wanted to do anyway. Does your marriage to an unbeliever dishonor God? My answer to that, if you are married, is no. No. In fact, I think there are two things and two reasons why it does honor God for you to be and remain in that relationship. Number one, you're honoring God because you're honoring the commitment of marriage. You're honoring a vow that you took and a commitment to marriage. And I think that honors God. Secondly, um, when you look in the Old Testament and you see that God, in His relationship with Israel, His people, He calls Himself the bridegroom and them the bride. And, um, and, And they were unfaithful to Him. Israel was very unfaithful to God. And yet God was faithful, always faithful, to Israel. It was difficult at times, but he was a faithful husband. And the fact that God could do that, then I think it honors him that you remain in a less than optimum situation, being faithful to God and to God's will and praying for your spouse. I do not believe that just because your spouse is an unbeliever that you ought to go, well, you know, we're mismatched and, you know, I'm going to... And a lot of times we open up our hearts to emotional affairs, to guys or girls who are believers, who are you know, trying to walk you through that process. And that's one of the reasons you don't need another, somebody of the opposite sex helping you through issues like that because there's a bondedness that can come that can be destructive to your marriage. So uh, long and short of it is, no, I, I, I think that you can be married to an unbeliever. Now, if you're single, you don't, don't go there because you're dishonoring God. But if you're already married, No, I I believe that you honor God by honoring your marriage vows. Okay, let's go on to the next one. This is a video question. Hi, Pastor Greg. I'm Derek Caldwell, and this is my wife, Christina. Uh, We are uh, really getting excited about this series and uh, and putting a lot of principles into our marriage. But we do have a question for you, and that question is, Derek and I um, conceived our first child before we were married, and um, that kind of sped the process up. And um, we got married at the City Hall, and we took it seriously, and we love each other very much, but we didn't actually put God at the center of our lives until after we were married for a while. So our question is, in your opinion, do you think that our marriage is blessed by God, or do we still have some work to do? Ooh, good. So basically they said that, that that's a crazy thing. Babies normally take nine months, but the first one can come any time. And... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, it just came to my mind. Another train wreck. Um, so they were not following God, all right? They, they were not following God's plan for their life. And I preached, remember I preached a couple, three weeks ago, that, um, that when you come to us, we're going to ask you to abide by what God says. And the reason we do that is because we're conveying the blessing of God. When, when you get married. And there are other ways to get married. You can go to a justice of the peace. You can have your friend be a notary public, whatever, be married on the courthouse steps like they talked about. But their question is, okay, we did that. Now we're following God. Is our marriage blessed by God or is there something else that we need to do? Short answer, I hope, is that blessing always follows obedience. That's a principle. Blessing follows obedience. If you don't obey, 
If you just thumb your nose at God and say, we're going to do it our way, whatever, you know, and, and expect the blessing of God on your marriage or anything else you're doing, that's arrogant. Would you not agree with that? It's arrogant. I mean, your kids go, you know, we're going to do whatever we want to do, but we expect you to pay for it. Uh, that didn't fly in our household, okay? That's arrogant. And so when there is obedience, then blessing follows. So maybe I didn't start out right. A lot of us didn't start out right. But then we recognize, God, we want your blessing. Here's what you do. You repent. That's why we have the crosses here every week. It's so that that we can recognize the error of our ways, our own arrogance, and we can repent and allow the gospel to permeate every area of our lives. So if you didn't start right, and I would say to them, if you didn't start right, you probably have already done this. And if you haven't, I would encourage you to do it just to get honest, sit down together and say, God, we blew it. We did not start the right way. We didn't follow your laws. We didn't follow your way. We repent. We are sorry. We want to do things your way. Would you bless our relationship? And I believe that God blesses repentance. And so you just repent and walk the right way. For some people, it's been helpful for them to um, have a little ceremony and redo their wedding vows. And, you know, that's not entirely necessary. Cool thing. Uh, you can do it however you want to. But just just recognize, God, we want to do things your way and ask God's blessing. And wherever you are, you begin uh, there. Does that make sense? Okay, let's go on to the next one. Oh, whoa, whoa. What does the Bible say about the M word? <laughs> Masturbation, for those of you scoring at home. That's not even a good way to say that, is it? Uh <laughs> Whoa! Okay, here we go. What does the Bible say? We'll stick to the screen about masturbation if I'm not married. It says the same thing about masturbation if I am married. Okay? Doesn't say anything. There is no thou shalt not masturbate. Or... Masturbate with all your heart. You know, there's just, there's, it's just not there, okay? <laughs> but stop, okay? Here's the principle. Again, we're going to principles, right? We're going to principles. The Bible talks a lot about lust, okay? And it says, don't lust. It says if man lusts in his heart, it's essentially adultery, Okay? Lust, don't lust. So here's the question. Can you masturbate without lust? And if you say yes, you're a liar. (laughs) Okay? Simple as that. And so, um, so that's my answer. (laughs) Let's go to the next one. Is porn cheating? (laughs) Is porn cheating? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Is porn cheating? That's a big one. Cheating is a big word. Um, I'll say this, and this is usually women, I think, asking this question uh, about their husbands or boyfriends or whatever. And guys, big guy, here's, here's how you answer that one. Why don't you ask your wife what she thinks? Or ask your girlfriend what, what she thinks. And she's probably going to say yes. Okay? And she's probably right. Uh, let me talk about porn just for a minute. Um, 
when you involve yourself in porn, at the least, you're involving yourself in an industry that devalues women. At the most, you're involving yourself in human tra- trafficking. Uh, if you heard uh, Christine Kane just a few weeks ago, um, uh, human trafficking, which is an awful, horrible thing, a, a lot of it, the end of it is prostitution and porn, forced porn and prostitution. And so um, that's why it's, it's not a good thing and not a good idea in, involving lust uh, also. Uh, cheating, big word. Um, I, I would say yes. I would say yes. However, don't run with that. It, it, I, I've known a female or two over time that were looking for an excuse and they caught their husband looking at porn and that was it. Boom, you're done and you're gone. I think that's extreme. I think there are, it may lead to something like that potentially if there's not a change, but uh, I think that love and forgiveness uh, wins out. Uh, Does porn have the potential to destroy your marriage? Absolutely, absolutely, okay? So, Let's go to the next one. I think I've got time maybe for one more. Does God have a soulmate for everyone? One, oh, one soulmate for everyone. No. Um, That is the idea that there is one person in the universe that is your soulmate. And you got to look for him. And what if you don't find him and marry the wrong one? See, that's the problem. If one person marries the wrong one, it screws up the numbers for everybody. (laughs) So, I would say the answer is no. Um, Here, can you have a soulmate? Yes. But here's how I think it happens. Most often. Again, and I talked about this in one one of the messages. It's important to marry the one you love. It's more important to love the one you marry. Okay? And when you love the one you marry over time, you can develop a soulmate. I think I got one. And I'm kind of happy about that. Um, two people that are as opposite as can be. That God makes one. It's incredible. All right? A lot more we could talk about. I'm going to end it right there. Um, here's what I want to do. I just want to pray for you guys. Uh, the biggest thing in this series that we could come to is this, is that we come to a point of understanding that God created us as sexual beings and that God did all things well and that when we do things the way that God ordained them, then there is maximum enjoyment, maximum benefit from the gifts of God. And when we, and when we, don't do things the way that God ordained them just because culture says this or or we think that we have the higher moral ground than the God of the universe, then things ultimately do not go well, okay? And so with this series, I would challenge all of us to ask ourselves: does my, how I handle sex and my sexuality, does this honor God? That's the question. And if I can say, to the best of my ability, I submit this gift to God, and God, I want you to be honored in 
my sexuality. As a single, I want to honor you and not awaken love before it's time. That was one of the key phrases through Song of Solomon. Don't awaken love before it's time because it dishonors you. And Lord, help me with that. If you're married, you say, you know what? I want to serve my spouse with the gift that you've given in ways that will benefit them and knowing that if I do, then, it, then you'll, you'll benefit me. Does my sexuality honor God? And I want to pray for us as a church that we're not afraid to talk about you know, the tough topics when they come and the right things and, and, that, we, and that we put God first in everything. Okay? So let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, today. I, there, there are so many more questions, I know, and we certainly haven't covered everything and probably haven't covered them as well as they could be. But God, our, our main desire as a church and as a people is to honor you with our sexuality. God, I pray for those of us who feel broken in that area. And I know, you know, I mean, none of us are perfect and we've all made mistakes. And, but some of us feel so condemned and we feel so broken. God, I'm so thankful that Jesus came to die for the broken. He came to set at liberty those that are bound in pornography, those that are bound in lustful thoughts, those that are bound in wrong relationships. You came to set at liberty those that were captive. And Father, I I thank you for that. I, I pray in the next few moments as we respond to you that you would just fill this place with a sense of your acceptance and your grace and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.